going to use yours. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to steal his mic and realized I had one in my hand. Isn't that like church people? Give me yours. Good morning. I hope you're ready today for a great Choose Your Own Adventure this morning. Um, by the way, I do want to say thank you from my family to yours uh, for an amazing weekend. And I heard that this week, the Alexanders, Micah Mack, it was just a powerful week of ministry. And so I thought the best way for us to conclude uh, this week of teaching and jump into barbecue. Oh, hallelujah. What kind of barbecue? Yeah. And what do we do with it? I love all of you. <laughs> if you missed that message, it's okay. It's available on the table. Uh, it's called The Aroma, and you can pick that up before you leave. And I would like to do a little bit of sermon trivia real quick to see if you'd like to win a fabulous prize before I start screaming. The message I'm preaching today is entitled, You'll See. So look at your neighbor and say this, You'll See. Let, let me get you prepared for that sermon before we do trivia. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Go there in your Bible. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. And Hush Marine, if you could bring me two fabulous prizes from the table. Actually, bring me three. I have uh, two great questions and one not so great question to ask. And if you answer this question correctly, you could win a fabulous prize from our table. By the way, I heard our table is running low. But you can pre-order and we will ship you your items directly to your house. And yes, it will be uh, sanctified because uh, my 19-year-old son will ship it. Okay, if you're ready, somebody say, let's go. Sermon trivia. Hey, you want to say bye to everybody? You look cute today. It was so good to be here with you all this weekend. It was such a blessing. We had so much fun. Both our boys say hello. They're still so mad that we did not bring them. I'm not. <laughs> But oh, yeah, we kind of had like another honeymoon. It was kind of sure fun. <laughs> but we had a blast. Thank you. I love you. You're my favorite. All right. First question. If you were here for the message on the aroma, when I talked about the aroma, I said during that message that aroma of a baby to its parent is akin to, to what form of addiction? You in the back with the glasses, I see you. Heroin addiction. That is correct. Come forth. You shall win a fabulous prize. Give it up for our sister from another mister. You have won the aroma series. It's available at local retailers in the back of the chapel. You're my favorite. Don't tell the others. Okay. Next question, last night, last night, so much fun. We talked about touch, and I, I said this at the very beginning, and I'm going to look in this side of the room because you guys are good, and I'm watching you, but I want these guys to wake up, okay? So, Jesus healed a woman with one touch, but he saved her life with what? She was so quick. She, she was so quick. She had her hand up before I even finished the sentence. What is your name? Ashley, everybody say, hey, Ashley. Bunch of people yelled out the answers. I heard all of you. Cheaters. Cheaters. <laughs> You're just quick to the draw, okay? Okay, what is the answer? One word, and that's daughter. Daughter. One word and? Daughter. What'd you say? Daughter. I didn't hear you. Daughter. Okay, just checking. Come follow me. I will make you a winner of fabulous prizes. I will not make you a fisher of men because you are single. You only need to be fisher of one man. Hey. 
You have won the aroma. It's available at local retailers right there in the back of the chapel where my wife is. God bless you, Ashley. You're amazing. All right, final question. This is going to be good. It's not a very good question, but it's a fun question for me to ask. <sighs> okay, first person to raise their hand. Do not shout out answers. First person to raise their hand and get the, <sighs> woman of God, I see you there. I see you. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Who is the greatest camp speaker you've ever heard? Okay, you, purple, you right in front of the purple shirt, the guy in front of the purple shirt, you, yes, you, come here, come here, you, yes, yes not, I'm sorry, purple guy, not you, this guy, come here. Purple guy, you're awesome. You, come here. You better get this right. Okay, I'm watching you. I will sneak up behind you at the picnic and eat your hot dog. I will tear your food up. You'll turn your back, waka, it'll be gone. Who is the greatest camp speaker in the history of Minnesota? Alan Griffin. That is correct! You have won the Aroma Series available at local retailers and back there at that table next to my wife. And I love you. Hug, kiss head. Get out of here! Okay. All right. Junior high kids are in trouble because I discovered that Geneva Java has double shot lattes. Whoa! I'm gonna be ready for them. They're going down, baby. <laughs> you think you're going to take me out? No, I'm going to take you out first. Okay, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. If you're ready, say let's go. This story is so much fun. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, he said that because we have no bread. Mm-hmm. Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why? Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke five loaves for 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke seven loaves for 4,000 men plus the women and children, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up after that? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Father, I pray that we would understand, that you give us divine revelation that would allow us to walk by faith and live in victory. Lord, I pray that today we would receive what you have for us as our daily bread. In Jesus' name, and everyone say amen. Amen. I read this story. First thing I thought about was my mama. I love my mama. And my mama baked bread from scratch. How many of y'all have ever had bread made for you by hand? Mm. There's nothing like fresh baked bread. It's amazing. And, and, and I used to even watch my mama. See, I'm, I'm one of those people that I like to watch Food Network when I'm fasting. I figure you're not sacrificing when you're fasting unless you're putting something in front of you. You're like, my God, my God, did they just put extra cream on that donut? I mean, just, just watch. And so I used to be in the kitchen when my mom would make bread and she would create dough. This is spiritual, you'll see. She'd create dough and, and, and I don't know everything that goes in the dough. I just know that it had flour and it had a little bit of salt, you know, and it had some different elements that were powdery that she threw in a sifter thing. And then she'd use some oil or whatever and work the dough. And we called it kneading the dough. Remember that? You'd knead the dough. And when my mom would do it, her little booty would shake. So I would sing a song in the kitchen. Knead the dough. Knead the dough. Everybody everywhere knead the dough. And my mom was like, I like that. <laughs> and she'd keep going. 
And, and, and my mom taught me how to bake bread. And, and one of the most important things she did is she would reach in the cabinet and grab some yeast and she would put it in a warm bowl, warm water, and she'd mix it up and she'd pour it into the dough. Jesus was actually talking about this very thing because that packet she grabbed was alive. Even though it was dry, even though it didn't look like it had any life, all it took was a little bit of moisture and body temperature and boom, the active cultures uh, uh, began to move in that yeast, kind of like sea monkeys. And th it was crazy that we would take it and pour something alive into just a lump. Just put it in that lump. And my mom would knead the dough, knead the dough. Everybody everywhere. Yeah. And then my mom, you know, she, she was smart. She, she wanted to stay married. See, my parents were married 54 years before my dad passed away. And, and my mom would make the dough in the shape of my daddy's head and punch it. And then she'd go back to knead the dough. Knead the dough. Everybody, everywhere. Mm-hmm. She was also a 60-year public school educator. And so she'd also put it in the shape of her principal's head sometimes. And smack it. And then she'd knead the dough. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> but what's amazing is she'd take that dough and put it in a bowl and put a, a, a towel over the top of it and walk away. And she'd be like, Alan, walk away. I'd be like, but mom, I want to look. No, boy, walk away. Get away from it. Leave it alone. And when it was left alone, abandoned, if you will, while it was abandoned, we would come back a little, bit while, a little while later and it would rise. We're like, dude, this is amazing. We don't have to do anything. You just put some stuff in it and walk away and it rises. It's crazy. And, and then she'd, we'd go in there and she'd go, take the towel off. And it'd be all fluffy. She goes, hit it. I was like, uh-uh. She goes, yeah. <laughs> it pooted. Okay. And then she would lightly knead the dough. Knead the dough. Everybody, everywhere. And then we'd hide it again. And while we left it alone, it rose again. Then my mom would heat the oven to 400 degrees. Man, that's hot. That's hot. And when she came back and, and I'd come back, she didn't let me smack it this time. She would fold it and put it in a pan or put it in little cups. And she'd put it in the oven at 400 degrees. And what would happen? It would bake up. It would fluff up. It would crisp up. It was beautiful. It tasted amazing. Did you notice what Jesus is doing in the story? He's saying to look out for active cultures that want to get into your bread and cause things to rise up in you that you don't want rising up in you. What I've noticed is that during COVID, we were all left alone and some people took the opportunity to rise while other people descended into chaos I'm preaching already some people during the times when things got hot they chose to rise and feed many with the nutritious value of the word of God that was in them others became keyboard commandos hating on the universe If you hate me, it's because you ain't me. I didn't do the stuff. I was loving people the whole time. You know why? People always do stuff going to make you go crazy. There's always an Archelian death cruiser about to blow up the earth. 
Our job is to let the world know that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. It's not my job to tell people you're going to hell. Even though I like saying that sometimes. <laughs> Under my breath in the bathroom. Jesus is saying, don't let just anything get in your bread. Be careful, disciples. Don't let the influence of the politically corrupt or the religious corrupt stop you from doing what I've called you to do. Because when things get hot and when you feel abandoned, you might just rise up the wrong way. Do you notice that Jesus didn't say you were cake? He said you were bread. In fact, Jesus is the master of the metaphor. We've heard this a lot of times. Everything Jesus said we are is a really great metaphor. He said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said this, you are the light of the world. He said, listen, I'm living water. Then he said this, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. Guess what? You are the bread of this world. And what God is saying to you today is don't worry about being sweet. Be nutritious. See, there's a difference between cake and bread. That's why Jesus didn't say your cake. Because cake is sweet all the time. It's sweet in the bowl. It's sweet on the spoon. It's sweet in the, in the pan. It's always sweet. But cake is weak. You put a cake in the oven, guess what happens if you stamp around the room like I used to do? Mama, what's going on in the kitchen? Mama, what's going on? Ah! All of a sudden, cake. Because cake is weak. You can't even bake cake at 400 degrees unless it's one of those nasty dried up bunk cakes from Satan. <laughs> at least the ones we make are. <laughs> no, man, cake can't take the heat either. Jesus didn't say you were cake. Jesus said you're bread. You know why? Because bread was made to endure. If you leave cake alone in a pan for a couple of hours on the counter, it will turn rancid. Why? Because cake can't handle being left alone. Jesus didn't say you couldn't handle it. The stuff we've been through the last two years, God was in it. God's in control. And you are more than a conqueror. Guess what? You're still here, baby. The devil tried to kill you, but you're still here. The enemy tried to wreck your family, but you're still here. The devil tried to divide us with racism, but we're still here. He tried to wreck this nation, but baby, we're still here more than conquerors. We were made for this fight. We were made for these struggles and we will win. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, we gonna win. Mm-hmm. Shoot, this is your Holy Ghost pep rally this morning. Just get ready. Didn't come here to put you down. I came here to exalt the name of Jesus and lift you up because today God wants to use your life to lift up others. Shoot. So after Jesus talks to disciples, about bad influences. He said, they come to Bethsaida. Everybody say Bethsaida. This is so good. Verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. <laughs> some people. Ooh, that's so good. The Bible's really cool. It, um, this, the authors often tell us who it is that brings someone to Jesus. Very specific. Um, in this particular instance, it says just some people. Just some people. Just some people. Just ordinary, ordinary people. Any excuse for me to sing? Because I love singing. God uses ordinary people. Remember that? He uses people who will give their all. Remember that? It's Andre Crouch. You better... They had that bad white boy on the trumpet, Andre Crouch and Disciples. Remember that? 
There's a lot of white chocolate in here. There's a lot of white. Andre Crouch was the jam. Um, in this situation, we don't know who the people are. It just says some people. I'm convinced that some people are you people. Because when you have a, someone in your family and you're in a Jewish culture, in a community culture like the Jewish culture, and you had somebody in your family that's a, infirmed, you were supposed to care for them. And if you did not care for them as your family, that your family was cursed. So to see some people, just ordinary people, bring this man to Jesus, this man had some problems at home. He had some family issues at home. He had some things going on at home that were not good. So just some people brought him to Jesus. And, and I'm so glad that I'm amongst a group of people that maybe we aren't a, a, a born is family, but we're born again as family. And we take on each other's pains and struggles and we look out for each other as supernatural family of God because with him, we are family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They beg Jesus to touch him. Look what Jesus does. The Bible says he grabs the man by the hand, immediately leads him out of town. After he'd let him out of the village, the Bible says he spit on the man's eyes. That's gross. I am not doing that, okay? He spit on the man's eyes. And then he put his hands on the man and said, do you see anything? Homeboy's like, nah, man, I got spit dripping out of my cornea. But the man looks up and says, I see trees or I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus lays his hands on the man. And this time, the Bible says his eyes were opened. This is so good. His sight was restored. That's even better. And he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home and he said, don't even go into the village. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even go back in the village. I got to hurry up and preach this so we can activate our faith. Um, I love how in this story, we learn a little bit of science without even knowing it. Because theology, science, and technology are to be combined at all times for us to get a fuller understanding of God and our purpose in life. In this particular story, it's, in, it's incredible. You ever read that story as a little kid like I did and thought, man, Jesus had to lay hands on somebody twice? Whoa, it must have been bad. Maybe he didn't have enough faith. That's the old school one. He didn't have enough faith. So Jesus had to lay hands upon the man twice. Okay, I've done enough theological studies that I can give you an answer on that. <laughs> bad answer. Here's another one. He had so much sin in his life, Jesus had to apply his hand twice. I got another theological bad answer, okay? This man got two healings. See, it took us all this time until 2017 to figure out what Jesus did in a story 2,300 years ago. It took us this long to figure out what Jesus did. What did he do? That's why I'm here. Jesus had to heal the man's sight. But that wasn't the only problem the man had. So in order to understand this, let's, let's learn a little bit of uh, junior high uh, 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 biology or, 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 or anatomy or, or however we study the body. Okay, let's do that real quick. Let's, let's study this. Um, how does sight work? 
How does it work? Um, well, we know that electromagnetic radiation travel in waves, that's how light works, and that that enters uh, 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 your socket, your eye socket, or your retina, which has millions of photoreceptors that transform the electromagnetic signals into electrical signals for the visual cortex within the thalamus. This sounds really deep, but it's really simple. The frequency of those waves, the frequency, the speed of the waves, determines the color. The height and depth of that wave determines the brightness. I've learned that you can't see color without light. Man, that'll preach. You can't see color without light. That when we illuminate the world, the world sees the world the way they really should see it. That when we walk around as the light of the world and we start to shine our light, people start to see things they didn't see before. Because until you have light, everything's black and white. But once you have light, you see the beauty of all God's creation. You see the, 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 the infinite blessing that is our existence in this earth. I got to hurry up. Nearly, nearly half of your cerebral cortex is gathered around the idea of vision. Now, when I was studying this, there's something that really fascinated me. That some of us um, are born nearsighted. Some of us are born farsighted. In other words, the moment you're born, you're born with a predisposition towards your sight. 70% of people in the world require corrective vision. As you get older, some of us need what we call readers. Some of us call them cheaters because you get something called presbyopia. It's not Presbyterian. Stop it. It's presbyopia. It means as you get older, your eyes have these micro muscles on your lens and the micro muscles shape your lens so that you can focus. Those micro muscles get tired and they go, nah, son, I'm not going to work today. In fact, we're retired. And they just shut down. And that's why it's hard to see up close. We grab these. I heard that you can do exercises and you can actually get that sight back. But I told my wife, I said, listen, it's hard enough to put this on the treadmill. I'm not putting my eyeballs on the treadmill. Give me the readers. And, and so when I was studying this, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Everyone's lens has a shape that you're born with. A predisposition, if you will. Some are nearsighted. That means you see up close really well, but far away, mm -mm, not real well. Some of us are farsighted. We see far away really well, but up close, whoa, struggling. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, this is funny because there's many different kinds of sight. There's many different kinds of visualization. Some of us are nearsighted. Man, we love our family. All we care about is our family do, but when it comes to people outside of our family, can't see them. Don't even, man, don't have a vision for that. That was me growing up. Uh, you know, I grew up in, 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 a, in a family of ministry, and, and man, all I cared about was our community. All I cared about was our family. But when people would get up and talk about missions, I'd be like, what are you, what, missions? Man, there's people right down the street that need Jesus. What are you talking about missions? I was young. I was immature. I didn't know. Then God sent me on missions. And I started to realize, man, the world needs Jesus. Some of us are more so farsighted, man. We see everything outside. We work real hard. We serve in the community. We're all about out there. But when it comes to our family, our marriage, our relationships, some of us just don't do marriage well. You know, there's some people I know that literally been married five times and we're like, bro, just stop. Just stop. You're messing up the percentages of the United States. You're just too many, too many. Five, that's too many, okay? 
And they don't care. They keep trying, okay? But they just don't do marriage well. Farsighted, man. You just, you, the people closest to you, you just don't see them the way that you should. There's something that you need corrective vision. Do you know how you get your vision corrected? It's real simple. You put people around you that see differently. And they help us acquire the vision that we need to see the world properly. This man in the Bible that Jesus discovers or who comes to Jesus is brought to Jesus by strangers. This man, I believe, was more so farsighted. And I can prove it, my opinion here in a second, but it seemed that he had problems at home. His family wasn't supporting him, but people were. Yeah, that was the deal there. And so when people brought this man to Jesus, it was in a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Everybody say Bethsaida. Bethsaida means house of the hunt. Okay? I can transliterate that a little bit. Um, it, it was kind of like this. A group of people who were pursuing and chasing and hunting the newest, the hottest, the greatest, the trending. They cared more about what, they, what, what their status looked like online. I'm, not, I'm verified. I'm not verified. They really, 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 really cared more about Facebook than putting their faces in the book. So much so that when Jesus showed up, Jesus said to them, Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Now, whenever you read the Bible and Jesus or a prophet says, Woe unto you. I can translate that for everybody. It means this. Ooh, you're going to get a whooping. That's what it means, okay? So say it with me. Ooh, you're going to get a... Mm-hmm. Jesus said this, and I think it was in the book of Luke. He says, woe unto you, Luke chapter 10. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Chorazin. If I'd done the miracles I did for you in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented with sackcloth and ashes, but I came to you and you couldn't even see me. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. You couldn't even see me. What does that mean? That means that Jesus came there and they were looking for the hot guru. They weren't looking for the Messiah. And when he came, they could not see him for who he was. So in order for Jesus to heal this man who was blind, what does he do? He takes a, phys a physically blind man and he removes him out of a town full of spiritually blind people. And once he got him outside of the town, then the Bible says he spits in his eye, which is gross. I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing spiritual about it. I did research. Why? Because I'm weird. I studied the whole thing about spit in the Bible. There's nothing special about spit in the Bible. It's just spit. Okay? It's just spit. When it was over, that dude still had spit on his face. But at least he didn't have a bill from the optometrist. So Jesus spits on his eyes, lays his hands on him and says, do you see anything? What does the man first do? He looks up and he says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. I believe this was a, a part of his predisposition. You see, he was so used to sitting on the ground, looking up at people and begging for hunt money, begging for food, begging for support, that he didn't even know that people weren't bigger than him. He thought they were bigger than life. So when Jesus said, what's the first thing you see? He looked to his provision, but he forgot his provision was right here. He looked to what he used to look. He looked up. Oh, there's, there's people. They're, they're the ones who helped me. They're the some people of my life who've helped me through my life. And Jesus is standing eye to eye with him. And I can just see Jesus. There's many times in my life he does the same thing. My Jesus, by the way, is Jamaican. I don't know what your Jesus is. But when I picture Jesus, he's Jamaican with dreadlocks. Okay. So Jesus is standing in front of the guy. The guy goes, I see people. They look like trees. And Jesus is like, really, man? 
thing look up and not look at me. I am the way. I am the healer. See, now you can see Jesus the way I see Jesus. This man was a little confused. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't complain. He doesn't even get mad at him. He lays his hands on him again. And this time his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Whew, that's good. I'm done preaching. All I'm going to do now is teach you the science, and then you're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. What? Yeah. It's going to be great. Come on, piano man. Play me a song, my piano man. Play me a song tonight. Whew, it's good. What just happened? Jesus healed the man twice. That's what he's going to do for us right now. See, the man that he healed... You, come here, man with hat. You, yes, come here. I need you. Yes, handsome man. Come here. Can't do this with Pastor Mark. He will fire me. I won't hurt you, I promise. Come forth. Dude, you got some guns, bro. What's up? Okay. So Jesus meets this man who was blind. Okay. Do you love that girl? Do you trust that girl in the green right there? You trust her? You don't know if you trust her? How about the girl in the, in the gray? A little bit more than her? How about the dude in the black? You trust him. Okay, you come here. We're keeping it real. You don't always trust everybody. So, stand right here. What is your name, sir? Cam. Cam? What is your name, sir? Hunter. Hunter. Perfect. Hunter and Cam. Okay, so I want you to face each other. Here's what they discovered. Medical science discovered not long ago, I mean, not even 20 years ago, they discovered how to fix a problem. People that were formerly blind struggle with something called post-blindness syndrome. It's also known as visual agnosia. Remember the word agnostic? I believe there's a God, but I can't, can't see, can't even imagine what that person would be. In order to fix visual agnosia, it only occurs in people that were blind a long time or most of their life or all of their life. And when they receive the gift of their sight through the miracles of modern science or just God's miracles, everybody knows all of it's God's miracles, they have a problem. The problem is they don't know what they're seeing. They don't understand what they're seeing. And what they're seeing actually causes them pain. You can Google it right now. It causes them pain. So much so that people that were formerly blind will go back to putting on blinders or they'll go back to putting on super dark glasses because what they see actually brings them stress and anxiety. And what medical professionals discovered is how to fix this problem is to look into the eyes of love. So what they'll do is they'll take somebody that that formerly blind person loves and trusts and they'll put them 18 inches away from their face and they'll stare at each other for just about 30 or 40 seconds. After 30 or 40 seconds, they will move that person out of the way and they'll take a digital device or a screen and they'll go, this is a cat. They're evil. This is a dog, man's best friend. This is a canary. This is a chicken. Because of post-blindness syndrome, they don't have categories 
for things in life. So they look at a man, they could say a man is a donkey. They could look at a woman and say a woman is a giraffe because they have no reference and there's nothing building up files. They don't remember what they see either. But once they spend time looking into love and they start to show them pictures of objects, his mind starts to build up proteins and acids and neural pathways to the visual cortex that create filing cabinets so that he can remember and understand what he's seeing. After about 15 minutes, they, they, they start to get stressful again. So they put the person they love and trust within 18 inches of their face. And isn't this funny? Someone who was blind, who's never seen before, still has someone they love and fully trust. How blind are they? Some of us can see, visually see, but we don't know who to love and trust. But they do in as much that their entire body aligns with love. And after a while, they, 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 they calm down. They put the pictures in front of them again. Hey, this is a giraffe. This is a hippo. Hey, this is your aunt. This is your uncle uh, Marvin. This is Daryl. They, they start to show them family pictures and they start to build understanding. So the first time Jesus laid his hands on the man and, 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 and believed for him, this man received his sight. But the second time, he put his hands on the man. The man received his vision. See, church, I'm going to tell you something. The minute you accepted Christ, you received your sight. We sing about it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I... But seeing is not enough. And so before Jesus left to go to heaven as the greatest superhero the world has ever known, he said, I'm going to give you a vision. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to give you the, the power to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you're going to go from just seeing to visualizing. You're going to see people the way God sees people. You're going to love people the way God loves people. How do we do that? You have an encounter with Jesus. My Jesus all of a sudden looks like a white guy with red hair. You're cute, Jesus. That's awesome. That once this man saw Jesus, he saw clearly. And then he said, don't go back in the village. Why? Go ahead, guys. Thank you. He wanted him to take that vision home first because he hadn't been seeing his family right all this time. They, they, they maybe he hadn't forgiven them and maybe they hadn't forgiven him. But the first place Jesus sent him, amen, go home. Don't go back in that village. Don't go back in that city full of blind people. Go to the first church you have. Your first church is your family. Go home and let them know, I once was blind, but now I see. I've just seen Jesus. And the people would never be the same. Today, God wants to give you a vision. A vision of people like you've never had before. See, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you, you just pray in tongues. It means that you're a witness and that you see people the way they truly are. Needing God. Needing hope. Needing a shepherd. 
and God is the good shepherd and buddy, sister, you are the under shepherd. You are a shepherd too. Are you ready to see people right? America needs to see people right. We need to see each other properly, don't we? I love the way Jesus taught it. If someone doesn't know Jesus, they're your neighbor and you're to love them like you love yourself. And if somebody does have a relationship with Jesus, they're your family and you love them like you love yourself. In other words, we are family. The whole earth is the Lord's and we're to treat it like that. So in a moment, I'm going to have you stand up. We're going to do something really fun. You're going to love this. Some of you are like, man, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Get ready because this is a choose your own adventure. Some of you say, man, I want to be used by God to encourage and love people. Get ready. This is a choose your own adventure. And some of you say, I don't want to do nothing. I want to eat barbecue. Get ready. This is a choose your own adventure. Can't make anybody do anything, but I can encourage you that your life won't be the same if you do this. All right. If you're here and you're like, Alan, I want to receive what Jesus talked about in Acts chapter one, verse one through nine. I want to receive that power. Um, and, and, and I want the power to be a witness. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen is God's going to speak to you. He's going to give you words to say or pray. And then it's up to you to repeat what God gave you. That is the first element, first sign that we know that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they hear words, and they don't say them. You're still baptized in the Holy Spirit. We just don't know because you haven't demonstrated it physically. Okay? Don't hold out on Jesus. If he says, hey, say, say burritos del grande. You better say what he told you to say. Don't be scared, be stirred, okay? Then there's others of you that are like, man, I, I've received that. Or man, I want to do something more. I want to do more. Listen, praying in tongues edifies you. It does. And it makes us an effective witness. And it allows us to be part of the soul winning process as the Holy Spirit convicts the world in regards to sin and judgment and, the, and, and sin and righteousness and the judgment that is to come. However, if you speak a word of an exhortation, the Bible says you're on a whole nother level. And so even more important today, just for this service, than you in spending a lot of time trying to edify yourself, let's spend a lot of time trying to edify somebody else. Let's clue in on the vision that God has for us so that we can love people all the way to the throne room of God. So we're going to practice that. So in a moment, I'm going to count to three because I like order and I like structure. When I hit three, all the women in the room, you're going to go over here to my right, your left, and you're going to fill in this whole area. You can come down here. You can stay back there, but you're going to come to this side of the room. This exercise will take 12 minutes. Men, you're going to come to this side of the room and you're going to fill out this side. Now you can come down here. You can stay back there, but you're going to be on my left, your right. Ladies, you're going to be on, on my right, your left. Okay, that's all over here. I want you to practice the gifts of the Spirit on each other because practice makes too many people think you got to be perfect before you practice no 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 practice makes perfect if you look at who God used in the Bible they were not perfect they were ordinary yes all right are you ready soon as you get in position I'm going to tell you the next step here we go